0: From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for Suck Attack, the number one comedy podcast about comedy podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster Mark Hershaw.
1: Yes, I am Mark Hershon, and this is Epi 77 of Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. Big thanks, as always, to our engineer producer, Joe Polino, our announcer, Bill Haywatt, our booth assistant, Keddy Durgis, and once again, our honorary associate producer, Tyson Sainer, who provided several of the clips you are going to enjoy in this here episode. Uh, This episode, by the way, is not coming from Studio P. It's also not coming from Studio F, my fiat. (laughs) because it's too damn cold. It's like 38 degrees already. And uh, that, although I love the sound quality inside my car to do these podcasts, uh, it's just too damn cold. So I am uh, in Studio HO, or my home office, as it were. Fortunately, my uh, my lovely wife, Deborah is out at a uh, business function tonight, so I have the house to myself. I won't be disturbing her or the TV show's that she likes to watch. So uh, we're coming to you from Studio HO for the first time. I'm not sure how you got here to Suckatash today, but I invite you to check out our home site at SuckatashShow.com, where I do a blog rundown of the clips and highlights for each show the minute it drops. You can also listen to it streaming from the home site or from Stitcher On Demand Radio or from SoundCloud. Of course, you can download us from iTunes, and we get replayed over on CWERRadio.com as well. We also get mentioned pretty much every week over on the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour with Dean Hagelin and Phil Larness. In return, or maybe it's in spite of that fact, we like to play a little snippet from CHH most often when they're talking about us.
2: Welcome to December, everybody. Oh my gosh, December already. Or uh, the way our listeners uh, catch up with the show, Welcome to March <laughs> it seems I'm always amazed at like people will tell me hey i 've just been uh, catching up on the shows well, you know how long ago, and it 's like well, starting around like August, August or July yeah and and I'm thinking you know, and I just we, we keep confronting this all the time, but so much of what we 're talking about is is topically relevant to what 's going on now, and you think about how the news cycles change <laughs> so much, like why would people listen to this weeks from now? Well, but I think we give uh, an
3: insight and a thoughtful process to the news knee-jerk reaction news cycle that's out there. So why not listen to it three to four months later?
2: Oh, no, and listen to us again and again and again. That's yeah. what I said, because if you miss a little, you miss a lot. Right. In fact. Uh, so I guess I shouldn't be worried that no. uh, since November 23rd of 2012, mm. Jackalope listeners have been listening to only shows from 2012. For the last year... We're we're still recycling through. Like everybody's wondering this week on Jackalope Radio why we're constantly (laughs) referencing Honey Boo Boo. Which we never did. This is the first ever reference to Honey Boo Boo. Remember our Honey Boo Boo special? Kids Wikipedia Honey Boo Boo to remember what (laughs) that's that that is. Uh, Of course, Talk Superstation. We're uh, we're live every streaming every week. Current, current, Uh, and uh, you'll hear uh, smidgens of this show on uh, Mark (laughs) Kirschner's Succotash. Our section this week was actually presented by Henderson's Pants. (laughs) The, oh, the Chill back Hollywood Hour check-in was check-in. Uh, sponsored by Henderson's Pants. That's good. Uh, I think in answer to the fact that uh, the, the obligatory secatash reference had been brought to you by Empire State Gas. <laughs> so I think that that might have been a little quid pro
1: quo arrangement uh, betwixt our sponsors.
4: Look at that. How lovely.
1: <laughs> We've also got a double Dean treat this week. Our friends Christine Blackburn and Hannes Finney over at Storyworthy Podcast have cut a special promo for their show, and it was especially tailored for us and features none other than Chill Pack, Hollywood Hour,
5: and TV's Dean Hagland.
6: Hey there, folks. This is Christine Blackburn from the Storyworthy Podcast, and I'm here with...
5: Hannes Finney, and this is our Suckatash promo. Promo, promo, promo. Suckatash. Promo.
6: Wait, who's that?
5: Why, it, it's Dean Hagland, a great friend of Succotash and a new friend of Storyworthy. That's right. I love Succotash. I'm on it every week almost.
6: And we'd like to thank you, Mark Hershon, for including us here on the Succotash program. Right. Join us, folks, each week for Storyworthy. True stories
5: from Hollywood's finest talents. If you want to hear stories, all
6: kinds of stories from...
5: Orgies, to threesomes, to women, to women See, with now women. Wait a minute,
6: Hannes. Why do you always have to just bring up the sexy time shows we've done? Because we've had plenty of other shows, you know, shows about like grandmas, driving across America, volunteering.
5: Volunteering to have sex with grandmas. It's fantastic. Look, sex sells on the interweb. You know that.
6: All right. Well, look, folks, we have had a lot of great talents on our show, including none other than Dean Haglund. Second dash. <laughs> we've, uh, we've also had great talents like Dana Gould, Rick Overton, Phil Hendry, Jeff Connor. Hey,
5: hey, 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 sexist. Let's look at some women in there. How about Jackie Cation, Annabelle Gerwich, Iris Barr, that's Chris so, McGaha. That's so
6: true. Oh, yeah, and
5: sometimes we drop a midweek episode that's the best of Storyworthy. We give, and we give, and what else do we do?
6: And we give, and we mm-hmm. give some more. So, folks, please check out the Storyworthy podcast, and thank you, Suckatash. We're happy to be part of your hearty comedy stew. Suckatash! Big chunks of comedy. <laughs>
1: Oh, I like those guys. Thanks so much for doing a special promo. Uh, and uh, don't you forget to go check out the Storyworthy podcast and also the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. They're both there for your listening pleasures on iTunes and Stitcher and their home sites. And uh, thanks again, guys, for uh, for cutting that promo. I love whenever Dean yelps out. So <laughs> I should make that my uh, official ID for the show. Uh, my special guest this episode is Larry Bubbles Brown, who is a stand-up comedian in San Francisco. Uh, if you're a, lo- a loyal and you may have heard him on a past episode of this show. He was with Dana Carvey in the car in Epi 58 when the three of us hit the road to a couple of gigs. He was also in Epi 55 as one of the crew at the table when I was attempting to interview Andy Kindler in Mill Valley. Uh, our interview this episode is just us, Larry and I, 101, back at D'Angelo's, that same restaurant where the Kindler interview took place larry is also one-third of the subject of a new documentary called three still standing which is about comedy in san francisco starting back in the 80s and uh, three comedians larry uh will durst who does our burst o durst and johnny Steele, and how they've managed to survive all these years so we'll talk about that when i have larry's interview up a little bit later in the show we'll also talk about a few other things and here's a little snippet
7: i went to my first open mic the punchline to watch and uh... I was not expecting anything and I was blown away by how good some of the comics were, not just the big guys I just mentioned, but there were other guys yeah, that were really funny. Michael Pritchard and he did I just remember he just blew the room away. it was just so loud and I remember big. those days yeah. yeah. There's no way anybody could have followed that. No, he was an unstoppable <laughs> was, force was like of he was nature. He machine the audience. Was Literally, like, you know,
1: yeah. one of his bits. <laughs> well, it was followed a John, by a
7: bazooka. It was John Wayne <laughs> shooting some nuns or something. Yeah. <laughs> Hard act to follow.
1: Do uh, <laughs> you remember that he opened for the Pope? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He opened at Candlestick Park, right? That's right. Was that in 89, I want to say? Uh, 80, I'm not exactly sure. I think it was 89. The Pope was playing at Candlestick Park, (laughs) and my favorite joke was people imagining that when Pritchard finished his set, he walked by the Pope's dressing room before the Pope went on and said, follow that motherfucker. (laughs) So that's Larry Brown. We'll have more of him a little later on in the show. Because of my the length of that interview, we'll have fewer clips than usual this episode, but we still do have a nice big handful of them. As I was saying last week, I'm no longer going to tag every clip with the fact you can download the shows from iTunes or hear them on Stitcher.com because, well, that's pretty much a given. But I will mention the home site and some of the other places that you can pick up those shows. This show, we also have our Burst O'Durst with comedian Will Durst counting down his top 10 news stories of two. 2013 That'll be towards the end of the program. Plus a brand new commercial from our friends at Henderson's Pants. If you're stumped finding that last minute holiday gift, you'll want to catch this ad coming up a little bit later on. But before we get to any of that, it's time for...
0: The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast League!
1: In our 10 most active on the Stitcher Top 100 comedy podcast list, found exclusively on Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, we don't look at the show sitting up in the top of the list. But instead, those podcasts that have moved the most up or down the top 100 in the past week are generally those that are below the top 10. Uh, how did it shake out this time around? Well, at 23, Death Squad was up 21 places. At 37, Wiretap from CBC Radio up 16 places. At 39, My Brother, My Brother, and Me up 18 spots. At 42, The Jimmy Door Show is up 16 spots. At 44, The Christopher Titus Podcast is up 20 places. This Week in Blackness Radio is at 46. That's jumped up 22 places. At 50, The David Feldman Show has gone up 31 places. At 51, The Sarah and Vinny Secret Show is up 35 places. At 59, Amish Amish Baby Machine has jumped 554 places. The Amish Baby Machine. Have never heard that podcast don't have time this podcast, but I'm going to pull that for the next one. Or, uh, hey, Tyson Sainer, pull me a, a clip from the Amish baby machine. And at 71, Lightcast, the Lightcast podcast, is it jumped up 1,421 places. My God, where did that come from? I don't have a clip from that either. Uh, 1,421 places. Good Lord. Um, anyway, the uh, the second annual Stitcher Awards are gearing up, or Stitcher Awards, if you'd rather, which means nominations are open. Now you can even nominate this show, your favorite Succotash podcast, to win. Go to Stitcher.com or hop on over to our homepage at succotash show.com and click on the Stitcher Award button on the right hand side. That'll take you to the site and you can figure out how to vote for us once you get there wish it was easier but that's the best i can do as far as this podcast goes by the way in terms of the stitcher rankings succotash seems to be suffering from the holiday blues as we have crashed down to number 8882 this past week sheesh and i have the nerve to complain that no one's clicking the donate button at succotash is anyone even listening hello Hello, is this thing on? <sighs> anyway, there's your stupid...
0: The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast League!
1: Let's get back into the clips with a pretty new podcast called Modern Day Philosophers with Danny LaBelle. It features comedian Danny LaBelle trying to get his head around philosophy, which he does by inviting various comedian guests to come on and talk about a particular philosopher. Most recently, he had on one of my favorite podcaster comedians, Bill Burr. And he threw 18th century's Adam Smith at him, which they start to get into after Bill covers a little bit of his early home life.
8: I definitely am through reading this Carson book. Like, there's a lot of stuff that he does that I completely relate to. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things like, you know, the compliments. He doesn't like compliments. There's a lot of the, uh, when somebody really needs him, it causes him to be cold and wall them off. Right. I'm not that guy anymore, but I used to be like that. And that, that definitely comes from, you know... Uh, similar sort of background it, it, it's just like an i don't know i think like an east coast i don't know what it is no he was from nebraska but my parents were from the midwest so i don't know if it's there's that just uh there's uh um i don't know there's people who are just touchy you're feely. trying to
9: regionalize it but i think it's it's probably just, spread out amongst you think everybody so? yeah, that- yeah,
8: yeah yeah i don't know it's just well i just kind of related to the uh, a little bit of the the, the coldness I just think coldness is too harsh to say about my upbringing. It was just not, you know, it was, the love was implied. You know what I mean? Like, I got hit by a car when I was a kid, and my mother, her response was, well, that's what you get for riding in the street, you idiot. <laughs> and that was her, a- anything- she, she was angry, I think, at the love she had for me mm-hmm. and the fear of losing me. Oh, that, yeah. So rather than, like, going, oh, my God, use it I, against I don't you. ever you. Yeah. yeah, it becomes
9: like this, you get mad. If you could detox from having those kind of parents... And then, you knew that the risk of doing so might be might be less funny. Would you do it?
8: Um, I don't think you can become less funny. So I would do it. You really don't think you'd be? Beco- yeah, there's there's that thought that don't get too happy, don't lose your edge, don't mellow out, don't blah blah blah. It's just like, you know, I I don't think. I think that's
9: it, a fear a lot of us have is that you can become less funny. You don't think
8: it's possible? No, no, because you you what you have is the. You can now, what you can do is laugh at yourself. Well, I've gotten to the point now where I laugh at myself. I still have the temper, but I'm not the angry guy I was in my 20s and 30s where it was literally consuming my guts, it felt like. Um, now it's like, you know, I'm flipping out, and I'm, as I'm doing it, I'm observing myself going, look at you losing your temper again. So, I mean, I've kind of gotten to that point. And then when I'm on stage where back in the day, I think it was more of like, you know, have you gone to these cell phone stores? What's up with that? It's more like now I'm kind of taking it from a place of like, so I go into the cell phone store, you know, I'm a real impatient guy and I pick out the stuff that bugs me, but I'm also sort of like psychologically breaking down uh, what an idiot I am for always taking the bait and getting this mad over so- a cell phone or or or, or what, whatever the hell it is I'm trying to do. So, and I, and I think that. It adds a uniqueness to what you're doing as opposed to... I mean, like, there's enough... Well, it's
9: more self-aware, you know? It's yeah. definitely more self-aware, but I'll try and use that as a transition to get into... into the philosophy. Our, Let's our do it. ...our philosophy. Um, so the guy Alex picked for you is Adam Smith, and uh, he... That might Alec- be
8: the most boring name ever for a philosopher. Right. I thought it was going to be some sort of Greek name. <laughs> Adam Smith. Just Adam Smith. Did he change his name for that because what's in a name? <laughs> 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 Probably had some twenty-syllable last name. All right, Adam Smith.
9: Adam Smith. Uh, I usually say when he lived from. It, he was from 1723 uh, to 1790, and he was a Scottish moral philosopher and pioneer of political economy. And, so, and he, he lived in Scotland. He lived in Scotland. He studied at uh,
8: University of Glasgow. I'm going to Glasgow next month. Oh yeah, I got a gig out there. Oh cool. I'll and I there. like Scotch.
9: We we hung out in Glasgow last time briefly at the at, that at the stand.
8: Call? Yeah. I didn't, you know, I ran into those guys, Kevin Bridges and all those guys when I was in New York doing oh, the Beacons. Oh, I love Kevin Bridges. Oh, dude, there's nothing yeah. better than drinking with a Scottish guy. You can't understand him at the beginning of the night, by the end of the night. <laughs> Especially no,
9: Kevin. Vulcan, is,
8: I like they don't say, yeah, they go, hey. You feel like you're hanging out with a bunch of pirates. And,
9: and he wrote the book Wealth of, The Wealth of Nations, which was published in 1776.
8: Okay. Um, Bill Burr, Adam Smith, I like it. Yeah. I added, I added a syllable. <laughs> it's moving up in the world.
9: Alex picked them, he said, because he found somewhere that you are distrustful of bankers.
8: Oh, yeah. They're, they're, I am, they're, too. But they're boy. the biggest criminals on the planet. You go high enough up, they're literally counterfeiting money. I, just I'm distrustful it. of money. I don't even... You know, it's just... I, I just find it hilarious that, like... I just love that thing how we all work all week. And then when you're done, you just get this piece of paper with, like, numbers on it. And then you go down and you hand it to these guys who... Are some of the biggest criminals ever We're too big to fail You deal with it, you pay our tab Like these absolute gangsters And just still throughout all of it You just hand it to them These guys who gave like homeless people well, Half a million dollar even going loans going back for houses step,
9: Let's say you don't give them the piece of paper with the numbers on it I still don't trust it I don't trust the piece of paper with the numbers on it
1: You can get more of Modern Day Philosophers With Danny LaBelle Over on their home site, Danny LaBelle That's D-A-N-N-Y-L-O-B-E-L-L Dot com slash podcast. One of my best friends is also a very funny comedian and has been running some great interviews from the helm of his own podcast. I'm talking about Rick Overton over at Overview. He sat down recently with a guy whose radio show I have loved for years, Mr.
10: Phil Hendry. It's so interesting that you draw out an actual cause to be angry. So it, it, yeah. if it was, if this was real, that would be a legitimate thing to be completely outraged about. Oh, of course. In reality, yeah. you should, if you're a good person, flip out over it. Yes. So you're testing skill levels of BS detection at the same time. You're testing their Norton antivirus the whole time you're going, right? Well, there you go. And I'm also <laughs> testing my own ability to, to sell bullshit, you know. Yeah, the, one unreal, of them was like, you know. Amazing. And uh, this is a place where you can take your seniors and um and you give it a name, you know. And that's why I always needed a name. Like, for instance, this is called the, uh, se- you know, this is a place called Senior Heaven, let's call it. Or, or <laughs> I think it was more like, you know, uh, Walk to Eternity. Something that had a very benign and very beautiful thing. Well, what it was was you take your seniors, who are very, very infirmed, (laughs) and you walk them down this gorgeous path with flowers and all this shit, and as they turn the corner, someone's there with a fucking hammer.
11: (laughs) Or. (laughs) <laughs> what? The panel lights up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100 calls. Coming.
10: Now, here's where the skill comes in. But here's where the skill comes in. You know you're about to say yeah. something crazy. No, you have to be sane. You have to sell it. You're you're, you're in a sane world. You're a sane person. Yeah. It's like your mom is, when I was a kid, my mother would sit down, she would watch Art Linkletter. Okay. You have to keep that sane uh, box around it. Yeah. Even though in the middle of that box is not just Arthur Godfrey saying, oh, let's go to a commercial or or, or uh, Dave Garraway. It's a guy saying that we're going Going to gently put a pillow over your mother's face <laughs> and smother her, right? So how do you sell that? You say this, Phil. We are living in a world now where you know we don't want to scare the people. And well, why would you? Why would you smother her? The, you're doing that, Phil, so that they always know they're in loving arms. You know, you gotta sell it away. You gotta sell it away.
11: That's... How does someone <laughs> gotta... not spot that? That's so brilliant. They do. Brilliant.
10: People call. How and... do they miss that? Well, they'll call. The ones who don't miss it call. I I, I have thought that you people were were joking at first, but you're serious, aren't you? <laughs> well, sir, no, I'm not. I don't. And what you do is when they say, you know, this is an outrage. Well, I think it's an outrage, sir. The millions of seniors that are left to starve and to, you know, and you take it right back to the middle. The and best right villains have a pure, immaculate logic to themselves. Sure, the, and yeah. you work out each knucklehead's logic so magnificently. It's just so great, and you know everyone's name and history. You do, and you're very smart. You always make sure to go, uh, uh, Mr. Hendry, Mac, mm-hmm. So we always see the yeah. the opposing uh, chess uh, pieces. Uh, Mr. Hendry, let me tell you something. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you, and you know the character, and uh, as you do the character, you're developing the story and the history of the character. And yeah, uh, it depends on what the character is doing. Like Bob Green, who's the head of, uh, of uh, Fraser Foods, yeah, uh, is a a man of about five foot six. He's got a bad-looking hairpiece that he calls a hair system. (laughs) He's got money, but he doesn't quite know how to spend it. And he's he's one of the few guys that has money and can't attract the chick for love or money. You know I I mean? It's that magnetic snap hairpiece with the four Uh, points uh, on his uh, hair. Hair system. Excuse me, Rick. Hair system. Thank you very much. Jesus, (laughs) you people. You know, I it's it's like contractual, you know. You just said it again, Phil. Well, I'm sorry. You know that I have a contract with your company not to say. So he even fired. And so one of the things he did was we have a lot of – you start with an issue that that is really important to people, senior care. Time at work, your break time. You know, it's the little things, man. We may think the big issues, but if you really pay attention to life, you know what the what the issue. All there's billions of issues. One of the issues: how much time can I take on my break? Yeah. And who the fuck are you to tell me I can't take? You know. Yeah, so yeah. we fuck with that. You know, like <laughs>
3: uh, I have a
10: lot of the females. These are checkers. They're great people, Phil. They take their break, and you know how women are. They'll go into the bathroom and they start talking to each other. And I, you see right away, you're pissing off a few women. You know how women <laughs> are. You know, are
11: enraging everyone.
10: Yeah. So what does Bob do when and they? One of the things a lot of the ladies will do is they go into the bathroom, into the bathroom stall, and they'll just sit and read or they'll smoke a cigarette. He's so wrong. That's why we put a picture. So we, on the inside That's door so of the wrong. stall, as you're sitting on the can, you see a huge picture of Bob <laughs> staring at you. So he's like, this guy just. <laughs> now, big, here's the beauty. Big part. Bob is watching here's you. Here's the beauty part. Is Bob really watching you? No, it's a fucking photograph. Legally, he can do it. Legally, he can <laughs> watch you <laughs> taking <laughs> a <laughs> shit. <laughs> you're old female, you're sitting on a toilet taking a dump. <laughs> And it's just a picture, dude. It is not a photo. Fun- <laughs> so, you know, if the woman calls up and says, that's harassment. Uh, Excuse uh, me, ma'am, it's a photograph? Wow. You know, like, you're nuts. You know? <laughs> but technically, if you were to think about it, yeah, it is it is harassing to have a photograph. Yeah. Of a, this this <laughs> big mug, big brother is watching grainy, <laughs> poorly printed, black and white, pixel yeah. dot face. Yeah. Yeah. Looking just like a 1984, and you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We love us a little Rick Overton on this show whenever we can get it. Uh, so thank you very much to our HVP Tyson Sainer for that clip with Mr. Phil Hendry. As I said, I don't know why I keep calling him Mr. Phil Hendry. I think it's respect because uh, as a former jock myself, uh, I really appreciated uh, the things he used to do and the things he still does on radio and now in podcasting. So welcome to a uh, freebie land, Mr. Hendry. And uh, hopefully you can uh, get yourself some some bucks here in podcastville. Oh. That sound you heard in the background was one of my Succotash buttons dropping to the desk uh, because I knocked it over. But uh, if you would like to get yourself a Succotash button, all you need to do is uh, send me an email with your snail mail address, uh, your name, and the, the name of the announcer of this show, just to show that you're listening. That would be great. Uh, and it's, I'm not going to keep you in suspense. You don't have to listen to the beginning or the end. It's, it's Bill Haywatt. So if you just put all that in an email, your name, snail mail address. Bill Haywatt, and send it to me at button at show.com. I will even cover the postage until I'm rid of all these damn buttons. They're three-inch succotash buttons with a really cool magnetic clasp on the back, and I will send it to you. So just do that stuff, and I'll get it to you. Um, Anyway, you can hear more overview at sideshownetwork.tv, also rickoverton.net. Also, look up Tyson Saner our honorary associate producer on soundcloud.com. You will find some of his original music up there. How about that? Comedian Ben Gleib appears frequently on Chelsea Lately and had a popular TV show that he directed, wrote, and starred in for the National Lampoon Network back in the mid-aughts. Now he's up to 109 episodes of his Smodcast podcast, The Last Week on Earth, where he talks about news, politics, and sports. Normally he has a guest on, but he occasionally goes it alone, as in this clip where he's speculating on what the upcoming TV show based on the old movie Ghost starring Patrick Swayze might be like.
12: Ghost is becoming a TV show, Vulture reports. Paramount announced Tuesday it's developing a TV pilot based on the 1990 film Ghost. The pilot will be co-written by Lost alum Jeff Pinker and Akiva Goldman, who won an Oscar for his screenplay for A Beautiful Mind. They previously collaborated on the show Fringe. I mean, this show, I'm looking forward to it, because, firstly, imagine Ghost Patrick Swayze going on the talk shows promoting this. It would be incredible. I understand Patrick Swayze said he will only go on one show. He will only appear on The View. And he will only communicate with Whoopi Goldberg, as he did in the movie Ghost. And I just stole my own joke from the episode of Green Room with Paul Revere that I appeared on. So I just—you're allowed to steal from yourself, right? It's not quite stealing if—if if it is. But I can't wait to see a TV version of the movie Ghost. I mean, the iconic scene where Demi Moore is sculpting clay in her clay sculpting room that no one has ever had in their own home, and Whoopi—and not Whoopi, uh, uh magic, not magic, uh, magical ghost man Patrick he comes up behind her and starts caressing her body to the dulcet tones of the Righteous Brothers? Oh, my yeah, Demi more. You feel me caressing you? Oh, I just fucked up your vase. I'm sorry I fucked your vase up, you know what I mean? But whatever, it's like we're getting funky right now. You know how it is. <laughs> wow! I mean, just imagine on the on, on a show, and the show goes to the series. Imagine all the different arts and crafts they're going to have to create while making love to each other. Can you Imagine they go to like a origami seminar they picked up from the learning annex. They're sitting behind each other. The Demi Moore character is folding paper, and the and the and the Patrick Swayze ghost comes up behind her. She's about to do the fucking most intricate fold she's ever done. Whoa, Whoa baby, I just fucked up your origami, didn't I? But listen. Would you rather make a fucking swan out of some very thin, colorful paper? Or would you rather, you know, get a little fucking crazy, crazy and use the paper to sop up liquids? You understand what I'm saying, right? Only time's gonna tell which way that works out. You know, I mean, the possibilities are endless. It can make macaroni masks in one episode, Play Doh, it could do Play Doh shit and mess up with the Play Doh shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't even know why we're in the middle of this nursery right now. Thank God there are no kids around. I'm going to put some of this Play-Doh right inside this Play-Doh Fun Factory spaghetti maker and press the button down and poop it through the little hole that's shaped like a star. Because you're a star, baby. And I'm about to bang you through your, your star hole. Your star hole's going straight to the heavens, baby. You better believe your ears. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. I'm not gonna continue. If I wanted to continue, I could, obviously, one episode, they could venture out and try to meet people, and they could all of a sudden start having sex in the middle of a full store of people at a color me mine. I know you're telling me to leave you alone, baby, but never around any kind of pottery or craft work. I get so aroused. Also, we should probably start sitting in two seats at some point Instead of always me behind you Fucking up the work you're trying so hard to do I know you paid a lot This mug, they're going to burn it soon in the kiln. And you've paid $30 for this tiny mug That's going to look ugly in the end Because I just keep smudging your work with my dick But just realize I'm not going to be here forever I'm going to be a ghost Probably by episode 7 And then it's going to be a lot harder For you to feel my, my ghost dick penetrating inside of you Because, I mean Ghost dicks, you can see it but it's very hard to feel it. You know what I'm saying, baby? You gotta find that creepy guy in the subway station. Teaches you how to feel things, and then I can maybe only get I put miniature things inside of you, like bottle caps. But I can't actually get my penis in you. Maybe that's actually the, what I could do is learn to get a, a, a ghost condom, or get a real condom wrapped on my ghost penis, and then I could put the condom in you, and you would feel me through a condom. It would be the exact shape of my dick. I still wouldn't feel it, cause a condoms suck, and b I'm a ghost. You can't feel it when you fuck human beings, but you'd feel it. And everybody in the company minds are like, "What the hell's happening? You've distracted completely all of our mug work. All of our plates are now ruined with with, with your filth, with your sexual filth." I'm gonna all of a sudden be like, "I'm a ghost. I'm a ghost. You can't blame me. Blame me more." The actress who looks a little bit like her is playing her in this thing. And maybe my character's dead at this point. Maybe I'm still alive, depending what episode in the arc. They decide to make it all freaky group sex style. But the point is, I love you, baby. And what do you respond to me? Simply ditto. Ditto. And I'd like to watch you make out with Whoopi Goldberg. You know what I'm saying. It's Sam. He says ditto. What the fuck does ditto mean? I'm gonna push a penny at you, baby. You know how it is. You know how it goes, baby. Catch up with Ben Gleib uh,
1: with his show last week on Earth on the Smodcast Network or on his home site at bengleib.com and that's b-e-n-g-l-e-i-b.com. Thanks once again to Tyson Saner. We get to feature a clip from Anxiety Party with Kathy Hopkins in Epi Thirty Two. She hosts Dion Dion Bosher. Just just to show that clip came from Tyson and not from me, I don't know how her guest's name is pronounced. It's, uh, I think it's Dion Bosher. You might recognize him from his work with Trey Stone and uh, Matt Parker of South Park. He was in Basketball and Orgasmo. He talks with Kathy about comedy writing, improv as it pertains to acting, and social situations where people could benefit from a little give and take.
3: I think that actually anybody, even if you're not interested in pursuing acting as a career, Mm-hmm. I think that taking improv classes is probably beneficial to anybody that has to just deal with people. People, yeah, <laughs> cuz you know it really does it helps you develop more interpersonal communication, helps you cuz ultimately what the one of the things about improv is is you're not supposed to like shut the other person down. Mm-hmm. It's all about um you know somebody' will come up with an idea mm-hmm. and you need to try to build on that idea. You don't want to shut them down and say like somebody'll say, "Oh isn't you know isn't this park beautiful?" and you can be like, "No, no, this restaurant's lousy. you know you don't want to do something like that yeah. and change the scene on that actor Get a yes and you it. want to yes, you constantly feed a yes and yes, so if somebody said, mm. "Oh isn't this a nice park, you'd be like yes and." Aren't the squirrels beautiful? You know, you just keep adding on it. So the whole idea of doing improv is somebody presents an idea and the other guy builds on that. And you mm-hmm. keep building on it. Each other becomes this thing like a teamwork event yeah. where you are saying yes to each other. Yes and, yes and, yes and. But I think that's a, an important skill just in all communication because I think it's real easy for people to just shut down mm-hmm. if they're trying to get a point across especially and not necessarily listen yeah. to the other person they're talking to. So I think just automatically kind of putting yourself in the mode of really listening to somebody and saying yes and agreeing with them. And mm-hmm. maybe not fully agreeing, but at least saying yes and and adding to that. You know, they're giving you some kind of information mm-hmm. that you might not completely jive with, but at least you can maybe process that enough because you listen to them and then add to it. You know, yeah. add your ideas, add your information or take on whatever they're saying. So I think improv is actually good for everybody. Everybody, especially people that are doing uh, business. Oh, okay. you know anybody that does uh, any kind of business, actually any kind of work with the public. You know anybody that's needing to do presentations or sales or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's invaluable. I mean, if you say want to
4: increase your conversational skills in general.
3: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's invaluable.
4: Yeah, I I I don't know about you, but I've definitely talked to plenty of people that. You look at their faces as you're talking to them, and you can see all they want to do is think of the next thing they want to tell you. Yeah, yeah. So they're fun to argue with, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. Yeah, yeah. They're like oblivious to everything you said. They half like block out.
3: Oh, my God. There's so details. many people like that in L.A., too. <laughs> oh, my God. That was one thing I was really grossed out about. When I came out here initially, I was just amazed by how many people, like at parties especially, you'd be talking to somebody, and they'd be like kind of nodding and kind of glazed over and literally <laughs> waiting for that. their chance to say something. And, like, waiting for you to maybe say something in your conversation that can lead to something that they can start talking about <laughs> themselves. And they'll be looking around, scanning the room for other people to talk to the whole time, too. It's like, LA people suck, actually, in, in yeah. terms of interpersonal communication. They're very, I would say, on average, too self-focused. Yeah. You know?
4: They're always wanting to either promote themselves only or yeah. just... Uh I don't know exactly how it becomes a thing, but you know, I guess everyone wants to be a business person of some sort here, even if it's just themselves as the product, yeah, and they're more and that's the thing, it would help them so much to be able to relate to people and converse with them, not just yeah. be like you so you're talking to someone at a party, and all of a sudden you as you're talking as you mentioned, the eyes glaze over and you feel like the least interesting person there, yeah,
3: yeah, It's <laughs> like, terrible. I stop
4: talking now Did the verbal diarrhea come out, <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then you'll get people too that are just that will just decide not to go to a party and be a part of that and say that the reason they didn't go to an event or to see you or do something is because they flaked. They just flaked. Like, that's a legitimate excuse for (laughs) LA people. And you're literally just telling somebody, I just didn't feel like it.
4: Oh, wow. Like, that's
3: literally what you're saying. If you tell somebody that you had plans but you flaked, you're basically saying, yeah, I was going to do that, but then I just didn't want to. (laughs) And people are actually okay with that. There's actually an okay thing with that. People can actually tell each other that they flaked and right. say, oh, I'm sorry, I flaked. And they're fine with that. Maybe Which you I your think is asinine. <laughs> it's just, I think that's asinine. It's so oh weird. Gosh. It's, I mean, not everybody, but I would say it's it's fairly common.
4: I think in Seattle, it's, it's funny because, like, there, there'll there be some people who flake all the time and have had former friends that were like that. It's kind yeah. really frustrating. It's so yeah. like, hey, come do a thing. Oh, okay, sure. And they never show up. And then having, like, especially five or six friends do the same exact thing. It's like, well, that was going to be a little mini party, but yeah. y'all just decided you'd want to go flick. Yeah. And uh, at least let someone know. But yeah, almost, it becomes a there. lifestyle
3: choice out here. Yeah. <laughs> We're the flickers.
4: And see, there, you're going to lose friends and you're going to piss people off. Here, it's a thing. Yeah, here it's a thing. It's a lifestyle.
3: Yeah. And you yeah. can't
4: use the excuse, oh, I didn't take my vitamin D supplement. I just didn't wake up because I'm so depressed. Yeah. That's a Seattle thing. I could, I could see being right. depressed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You too can sip some anxiety over at anxietyparty.com. Uh, just so you know how to spell that, it's A N X I E T E A, anxietyparty.com. I've got my interview with Larry Brown coming up right after we dip into the tweet sack and right after this important word from our sponsor.
0: Season's greetings, friends, from me, Bill Haywatt, and everyone at Henderson's Pants. Now, although this is supposed to be the happiest time of the year, it's also a time for frayed nerves, temper tantrums, and road rage. And now there's all this brouhaha about what to even call the events around the winter solstice. Well, far be it from Henderson's Pants to ruffle any feathers, so you won't be hearing us uttering the C word anytime soon, which is why Henderson's is introducing their holiday pants just in time for this festive season. Intentionally non-denominational, Henderson's holiday pants are just what the discriminating celebrant is wearing this year. Perfect for office parties, family get-togethers, or late-night shopping sprees, these snappy trousers are designed to honor every persuasion of winter celebration. How can one pair of pants do all of that, you might ask? Simple, we might answer, because these. These holiday pants are made by a special group of Amish craftsmen in a barn covered with hex signs in the middle of Pennsylvania Dutch country. They weave the sturdy cotton twill fabric themselves before stitching each pair together by hand. These humble tailors have no holiday celebration, no electricity, and no alcohol. They literally live for the opportunity to craft each and every pair of Henderson's holiday pants. And they don't care if it's Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or that holiday around the god baby with the decorated pine tree and the name that makes some people so very angry. Originally designed for Ebenezer Scrooge, Hermie the Elf, and the Grinch that stole Christmas, Henderson's holiday pants are available wherever there's a dude dressed like Santa outside ringing a bell and begging for your spare change. Happy holidays from Henderson's, makers of fine trousers and pantaloons since 1 A.D. And now back to Dash.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Bill Haywatt. Tweet sack time! Tweety's glad to be out of that musty old bag, I can tell you that. First up, thanks to Harry White in New York for hooking up a little interview. Last Thursday night, I appeared as Ethan Ullman's guest on his 90.9 FM radio show, Alternatives to Sleeping, out of Albany, New York. Had a fun chat with Ethan, uh, which went by entirely too quickly, and I uh, look forward to chatting with him again. Maybe I'll have him on as a guest on Succotash because he's threatening to, uh, to start uh, putting out a podcast himself besides his radio show. Got a note via Facebook from Bon of the Strange Time Show and also of the Bon and Oboe Show. He wanted to know if we were planning any kind of special Christmas succotash show. And was I interested in him putting something together for it? Well, I wasn't planning on any kind of christmas theme show, but after getting Bon's note, I told him to go ahead. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and cut me something. I'll do it. And I would put out a call to any and all comedy podcasters within the sound of my voice, which I'm doing right now just pick up your phone and call the Succotash hotline at 818-921-7212 and leave a holiday greeting that's 818-921-7212 and and just a call you can plug your show tell me how great Succotash is do a shout out to your loved ones your listeners whatever and I will play it on the show as we get near to Christmas that's this that's the what that's the Succotash hotline at 818-921-7212 1 2 You know we might have our first legit paying sponsor maybe sure we have Henderson's pants and our Amazon portal but I was listening to an ad for naturebox.com on the Nerdist podcast last week and it sounded so cool I ordered some and then tweeted about it and how naturebox should maybe sponsor suckatash I got a reply within a couple of minutes on Twitter and uh, they they're going to send someone over to uh, to our email to contact me I guess not send someone over. I guess they'll just send me an email. But uh, they're going to talk to me about possibly sponsoring Suckerdash, which would be great. And I just gave them a free plug. So how about that? Uh, <laughs> been getting some nice responses to my, my appearance in Epi 4 of Dana Carvey's odd little web series, The Funster. Looking forward to getting more mileage out of my character, Jake Talbot, again soon on an upcoming episode of The Funster. Uh, if you want to go catch that, uh, I have it embedded in the blog for Last Epi 76. And you can find it on YouTube. Just do a look for The Funster and Dana Carvey's name, and it will come up. More requests coming in for our magnetic Succotash buttons. Told you about those. They make great stocking stuffers. The only thing you need to do to get one is send me an email with your name, your snail mail address, and the name of the Succotash announcer, Bill Haywatt. Send all that to Button at SuccotashShow.com. We'll cover the postage, and you'll have a big old green button to wear just in time for Christmas. Our fantasy football team, the Succotash Rocks, is still in third place in the Broadcast Basement League after this past weekend's action. After 14 weeks, I still know nothing about real or fantasy football, but our team is doing okay, and I've been informed that we did make the playoffs, whatever those are. We beat the Acoustic Mics last week, and this week I believe we face the Bruisers. Here's a big thanks and shout out now to everyone on Twitter this past week that tweeted, retweeted, favorited, followed, followed, followed it, and somehow or somehow mentioned us. Uh, here's just a few of them. Davian Dent, John Dredge, Logster71, Chris Manuti, Trev and Ben, Radio Mayday 1, X-Sun Sp- uh, Space Robots Cast, D Hagland, Derek Sheen, Midnight, Big Daddy Surf, not that Tom Green. The Comedy Buffet. One Crystal Miller. Gamma Ray 206. C-Mortolani, Ryan Healy. Russell Boyd. WBM Jerky. Denny Jazzcheck, Vallejo Edgar. Bratney uh, 81. Mand HF. Somewhat Annoyed. Table for Love. John the Human. Paul Prevenza. My Nickypedia. Jack May. Jack Haver. Podcast Whore, The D Head Factor, Tiger's Blood Theater, Rev T23, Clutch43, Poop, Karen White, Sexy Laura27, Eric Furnace, Chet Hawks, Kudla Army, Luke Laris, Inverse Delirium, Wrong Foot Con- Podcast, I have Wrong Foot Contest written here, The Truth Fiction, Comedian Cooper, Hear Andy Talk, uh, as well as Brit. And American. Um, you know, I mangle so many of these names, except if you want to actually go up to com, click the donate button, and throw us some money. I promise I will do the best to pronounce your name just as closely as possible as uh, God intended. Hey,
7: Larry Brown here, and I'm listening to the comedy podcast. Suckatash, listening- Suck the comedy
1: podcast. <laughs> Let's start podcast. that again. All right, go ahead.
7: Hey, Larry Brown here. I'm listening to Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast. (laughs) Perfect.
1: I was glad to sit down with just Larry Bubbles Brown and myself. I didn't ask Larry because I I used to know this story, I think, but his nickname was given to him, the Bubbles nickname, by Paula Poundstone. Uh, When we come out on the other side of this interview, it'll be time for our Bertha Durst segment. In the meantime, please enjoy... Larry Brown, uh, audio warning, the background chatter gets a little heavy uh, as we go through the piece as the restaurant fills up and then it quiets down again. So uh, uh, you don't have to to listen particularly particularly for that, but uh, you will hear it happening. Here's Larry Brown. Let's uh, let's start with uh, sort of your background, and and we've covered. Actually, this is not the first time you've been on Suckatash. You've yeah. actually you've actually been on twice before.
7: I piped in when Andy Kindler was on. I believe that's
1: right, and you were also in an episode where uh, I was on the road with you and Dana Carvey. Absolutely. When we, uh, we did we ever name that particular tour we played? Uh, I think it was the Wild West Engine Casino Run, uh, 2013. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where we were in Medford, Oregon, and then we were in... Redding, California. Redding, California. Uh, so, so you're also on that, and I think uh, a little bit of your background was exposed in part of that interview, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, that's okay if we... That's been turned over the DA. <laughs> and dusted for prints.
4: You
1: know, I was, I was
7: uh, talking about doing comedy for decades, and I thought of a Steve Rosenfield line last because of the punchline, I, I've been doing comedy for 30 years. I realized last week, hey, I'm not going to make it.
1: <laughs> but uh, you're very well regarded by uh, the comics in the San Francisco Bay Area. you're quite a fixture. Uh, I think people look to you as sort of a barometer of what's going on in the scene here, because you do hang out a lot of places. <laughs> um, and that's one thing I want to ask you, because you do often Hang out at places. You're often here at the Throckmorton. I Court. never perform. I didn't. Hang it's very <laughs> true. It's very true. Uh, and you don't live here in Marin County, so it's actually a commute for you to get here.
7: It's an easy drive, and with the electronic toll taking, I just cover my plate up so it's free. <laughs> Got a little
1: curtain that slides over. Thank you. Um. So, how many gigs do you hit? a week that you don't actually um, perform at? At least three.
7: I have a very kind of a rut. So Tuesday, Monday's my night off. Tuesday's Mill Valley. Wednesday's Rooster Teeth Feathers. The Sunday is Rooster Teeth Feathers. So those are both in Sunnyvale. in Sunnyvale. Those
1: are quite a drive. Yeah, it's 40, uh, 43 miles. And you don't perform? You just go down there and hang out? Mm-hmm. What is the appeal?
7: I guess I'm like a barfly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an alcoholic that doesn't drink. <laughs> I guess I like comedy so much I have to be around it. Okay. And I do like, I like the open mic at Sunnyvale because it's fun to see the new
1: comics, see what they're doing. And, and you ever help? People out with their stuff. Do you give them ideas for their bits? I,
7: I <laughs> do, you, do. You steal from I, them? <laughs> I them? I tell. I tell them if they want to be successful. Do everything I don't do anything I did. <laughs> no, if they ask for it, I try. You know, I can
1: sometimes tag a joke. Now you are not without your national exposure. You've been on David Letterman,
7: holding the record. For times between appearances, that's true. And what is the record? 21 years, <laughs>
1: 1987 to 2008. And when you came back, did you repeat a single joke that you'd done the first time? I did repeat a joke, uh,
7: <laughs> I don't think anybody remembered, <laughs> I, think the, I think it was the sex just said, life isn't for everyone, I repeated that one. Oh. I could have done the whole same set, it wouldn't have mattered actually that would have been legendary so i'm gearing up for my next set on letterman in 2029 (laughs) we will be celebrating the uh,
1: stock market crash Hundredth anniversary now larry you don't know a whole lot about podcasting but you have been in comedy a very long time and suffice it to say from my perspective that uh, it is sort of in the day, the early days of podcasting, as it was in the early days of stand-up. Right now, I mean, there are people that are getting into it that are seasoned comedians, and they have a little bit more of a leg up, I think, in lo- knowing how to use a microphone and how to talk to an audience. Although they're not really looking at their audience, you know, they're doing it in their their homes or wherever their what studio they manage to find. So there's a little bit of a parallel to me between stand-up and podcasting. Hmm. Um, so thinking back to when you first started, which was, what, 83? March 3rd, 81. 81. Mm-hmm. 81. It a Tuesday. What was it like the first couple of years when you were getting into it and trying to f- figure out what the hell you were doing?
7: It was really, uh, it was exciting, because I loved comedy, and I watched a year of comics for a year before I went on, and, uh... It was kind of like the boom was just starting to go on. So it was kind of like being on the ground floor of something that was happening. So, in that regard, it was really very cool to be around and be part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, with this technology, maybe uh, you're in on the new boom,
1: like you were saying. Who were the comics that you were seeing come through town that were the headliners back in 81, 82?
7: Well, the first one I saw was, uh, the kind of blew me away, it was Bobby Slayton. Cause, uh, a local boy. Yeah. And a great comic who's still doing it. And uh, Dana Carvey. And uh, it's all Robin Williams shortly after that. So the, that was the thing. Uh, I went to my first open mic, The Punchline, to watch. And uh, I was not expecting anything. And I was blown away by how good some of the comics were. Not just the big guys I just mentioned, but there were other guys there yeah, that were really funny. Michael Pritchard. And he did. I just remember he just blew the room away. It was just so loud. And I big. remember those days. Yeah. yeah. There's no way anybody
1: could have followed that. No, he was an unstoppable <laughs> was, force like of he nature. He was like machine
7: the audience. Literally. That, you know, yeah. One of his bits.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was followed a John, by a bazooka.
7: It was John Wayne he was shooting some nuns or something. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Hard act to follow. Do <laughs> yeah. you remember that he opened for the Pope?
7: Yeah, yeah, at Candlestick Park, right? That's right. right.
1: Was that in 89, I want to say? I'm not exactly sure. I think it was 89. But the Pope was playing at Candlestick (laughs) Park. And my favorite joke was people imagining that when Pritchard finished his set, he walked by the Pope's dressing room before (laughs) the Pope went on and said, follow (laughs) that motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs)
8: <laughs> and
7: the sad thing was the Pope couldn't follow him. <laughs> the Pope had nothing to follow the John Wayne bit. He had, <laughs> had nothing.
1: <laughs> he had nothing. Uh, you know, what, what do you think is influencing comedy today uh, in society, um, sort of amongst comics themselves? Do you see any sort of main sort of thrusts in terms of what drives comedians' sets, acts, observations? It seems
7: like, uh, the unfortunate thing is, it seems like maybe the country's so numb from everything that's gone on, but uh, it seems like there's a lot of, sh- when you go to an open mic, there's a lot of shock value. I think Johnny Steele said that it's, it's three topics, masturbation, fornication, and defecation. So there's a lot of that.
1: So I don't know why, where that's coming from. But, uh, and is that different than 10, 20 years ago? I think it was when I started,
7: it was, you could be dirty, but I don't think it was as obtrusive as it is now. I remember I didn't say, the first time I said fuck was I'd been on stage six months and before I said the F word, and uh, I remember I actually got embarrassed when I said it, so <laughs> I, I can't imagine that happening now. You just see guys saying it seventy-five times during ten minutes.
1: You know? Well, it's definitely. I mean, uh, obscenity has definitely lost much of its shock value.
7: Yeah, there's no, there's no shock
1: value anymore. Which so. is why when a Michael Richards goes on stage and you know gets caught on camera saying "nigger" in front of a, an audience, which isn't unusual. It's just that it got caught on camera. No,
7: I, I think it's the PC stuff. So stuff like that is that's the new that's, cuss word. That's right, the new obscenity. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, Drop an N-bomb, then it's like it's like saying fuck in 1955, and you almost get arrested. That's right. You certainly get ostracized. And uh, probably ends your career. Yeah,
1: Not on this podcast, though. We, we, just, <laughs> we just both liberal, said it. Liberal use of the
7: N-bombs. <laughs>
1: we just both said it. But
7: we never curse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think things are getting more PC than when you started?
7: Yeah, it seems like it's, it's cancer that's gotten worse and worse. It's really kind of annoying, so I don't know how you deal around it.
1: Because it's just kind of interesting, because things seem to be so PC. When I started hanging around comedy in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, wow, it's, see, everything seems so politically correct. Now it's it's unbelievable that I even believed that then. No. Because it seems so much worse now. But it seemed like the people that were young when I was young, well, why did they get older and become more politically correct? Why didn't they get less politically correct? I don't yeah, you would think they, they would. I kind of don't understand the dynamics.
7: Yeah, it kind of reversed itself. and uh, It just shows you the power of The PC movement is uh, very fascistic to me. And uh, I don't like anything that... And the comedy clubs, I think, is probably where you're going to see... People be as politically incorrect as you can be in society these days, and so it's that bad in the clubs. I mean, yeah. It's like up in Canada, a guy uh, was heckled by two lesbians, and he called them a cunt, and got he got arrested, and this thing dragged out. Really? He had the potential of going to jail. And I think it ended, It went on for a couple of years. He ended up getting a fine. Wow. And uh, from who, what I understand, who books that yeah <laughs> I'm gonna go up there and drop my C bombs and see what they'll do to me. Um, And I understand this is a very there's words you can't say in Europe that uh, where you'll you'll you can literally go to jail. Really? And I'm afraid that that will probably be coming here soon.
1: You'll go to jail over words again? Yeah. Back, you, back like in the Lenny Bruce days? Yeah,
7: they'll say it's like, well, it's like he's, uh, all gets garnered under hate. Oh, that's hate speech.
1: Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, no one wants to hate, so
7: it's very disturbing.
1: And yet, I wrote a book called I Hate People. So, <laughs> I'm wondering why it didn't do very well.
7: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't
7: we both hate people? So much.
1: So much. I
7: want to. I want humanity to die after I'm gone. (laughs) I don't want the society to. I really do. So your legacy
1: you wish for is that there's no legacy.
7: I want to. When I'm my deathbed, I want to wink at Putin and have him (laughs) do a full out launch. Wow. Brutal. Yeah. Well, (laughs) why should the party go on
1: without me?
3: Um,
1: You've certainly seen comedy go through. A number of convolutions from the comedy boom of the 80s through the uh, the doldrums of the 90s. Yes, we're like we're like iron workers in Ohio and It's like the Dust Bowl. We're all wobblies trying to survive. Um, but it seems to me, I'm, I'm not as into the stand-up scene as I was, but it seems to me that there is a, if not a resurgence, there's a new greed of the comedy business sort of coming about. I mean, I see. it seems like there's a lot of open mics. It seems like there's a lot of young, wannabe comics wandering around. That's
7: what's amazing. It's uh, There's no money, so to speak, anymore, but I've never seen so many people trying to get into comedy. Uh, right now, the, to get on at the punchline on their open mic, their Sunday night showcase, you have to go down there for nine months, average, before they'll put you on. Really? Whereas when I started, you would get up the first or second Sunday went down there. Wow. So there's all these people. I don't know if they're trying. They all think they're going to get famous or what. But there's hundreds of people trying to break in a stand in just around here, stand up around here. And uh, and uh, they, I don't think they they're expecting to make money. So I don't know if it's some type of outlet for them. But uh, the number of people eat, when we started, it was like a rare profession. Now yes. just everybody's trying to get into it.
1: Well. The avenues of distribution certainly have changed. You know, before there was just basically I want to get on TV. mm mm-hmm. um, Whether that's evening at the improv, at the kind of entry-level end, and the, you know, get the Tonight Show slot when it meant something, when, you know, you could get a, a booking out of being on the Tonight Show. You know, you can get a headline yeah. booking yeah. somewhere. To now, you can have your own YouTube channel. You can do all these things and never have any national exposure in the classic sense.
7: Yeah, and some people get famous doing that, so...
1: I mean, um, let's, there, there's a lot of comics that um, they maybe they don't even aspire to get on a national talk show anymore, you know, because they've got these different forums that they can use. Right.
7: I've I talked to some of the younger comics, and they don't. They said they would like to do the Letterman show, but it doesn't really mean that much if they don't do it. So, and I think when we started, like, well, getting on TV that was the thing to do, you
1: know. Well, it was the only place to be seen.
7: Yeah, on that. Uh, that branded you as a true professional I think if you got on The Tonight Show or Letterman back then
1: what's interesting about to me about the newer media as I'll call it is the comics whose careers had kind of stalled out are finding a new life in it I mean look at Mark Marin, who was basically kind of dead in the water totally know, saved him right clubs wouldn't hire him he mm-hmm. couldn't get any gigs TV didn't want him and then he nurtures this podcast uh you know, and just kind of prods it along, and starts interviewing bigger and bigger names, and but also puts himself out there. It's one of the first podcasts that really, you know, whether he had a guest or not, the first ten or fifteen or twenty minutes, of the show is was him going on about him and his problems mm-hmm. and his view of what was happening in the world and whatnot. So letting an audience in on, you know, what before was just sort of a bitter guy on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole different paradigm that's just really now beginning to sort of find itself. Um, do you think there's a place for, well, you're working on things right now, I was going to ask if there's a place for you in that, but you know, There's no hope for me. No, but seriously, you are working on stuff. I, I don't know if we want to talk about it, but there are projects that are in the works. The movie is one thing, which is a documentary that, you know, in part focuses on you, but there's other creative projects you're working on that do tap into the new media. So how do you feel about those in terms of them possibly being something that, you know, keeps you going? Yeah, that's. I think that
7: uh, I'm looking at that as like kind of a backup thing, because there, there is like this cartoon we're trying to sell, and if uh, if we can't sell to a network, we can put it on the internet, and then mm-hmm. so that uh, that does give you a little hope, another outlet to work on. Right. And so the, the gatekeepers are kind of going away, I guess, which is good and bad. so The gatekeepers are great if you're in, I guess, but.
1: It also indicated there was a place to get into. Yeah,
7: <laughs> now it's just so open, open ended. Is you got to get something out there and then find that audience, which. Technology is not my forte. As you know, I'm on dial-up.
1: Yes, still on dial-up. <laughs> it's not <laughs> a joke. Uh, in fact, I think your your email address is Butterfield8. At what 917.
7: <laughs> At Juno. <Juneau. laughs> um, Takes me four days to download a porno clip. A <laughs> <laughs> lot of buffering.
1: and moisturizer (laughs) Um,
7: four days is exhausting
1: now one of the distribution points that comics used to use was the CD you know they'd record themselves and then you know, sell this CD to audiences that've uh-huh. just seen basically the same thing. That, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that they've just seen in the room. Now they
7: hoodwinking you know. the people who just paid to see you. Yes, but
1: you've never put out a CD.
7: No, I've never. I've uh, business end. I've been really smart. Uh, no merchandise. <laughs> dial up. So uh, I've cornered all the losing bases. You can.
1: When you look around, what are the sort of things you admire that people have done whether you want to name somebody or not just in terms of being inventive and doing something different with with the opportunities that they have Mm. I mean look at Durst he's got a one man show Mm that has been running now for several months
7: yeah I always always guys that could pull off the one man show and that was Rob Becker who made a fortune and Rick Reynolds had a pretty good one man show too I really liked his and uh I always wanted to try one myself, but I don't have the talent to pull one off, but uh, I always respected guys that could do that, I thought that was, uh, that's really putting yourself out there, because a one-man show, you can't, it's more than just trying to go out there and fire some jokes
1: off them. So, So what, what's your perception of what makes up the one-man show versus your act? Well, you got
7: to have something interesting to tell people about your life, I guess, and uh, I don't know if I can make a serial rapist funny. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) that'd be great—a one-man show about a serial killer. Nice.
1: (laughs) Nobody's done it yet, I don't think.
7: And each show (laughs) ends with an onstage arrest. (laughs) (laughs) The last—the last last line will be me saying, "What took you so long?"
1: One night only. That's <laughs> Larry Rubbles Brown in, w- in What Took You So Long. <laughs> Where you just slowly reveal the audience that not only is there a killer, but you are the killer. I am the Zodiac. <laughs> Don't reveal
7: the surprise ending to anyone. <laughs> I'll be selling replicas of the mask in the uh, lobby at Intermission. <laughs>
1: Now, did you ever feel the, the urge to get to Los Angeles like so many San Francisco comics have over the years?
7: Yeah, back when, uh, back when I, that was my biggest mistake probably when I did my first letterman. I should have moved to L.A. I don't know why I did. not I, th- I think partly the boom up here that was so easy to make money, I was too comfortable. Uh-huh. So uh, I didn't go down there and then I turned 90 so there was no point in <laughs> going down there.
1: Did you ever get down there at all?
7: I went down there for brief periods of time. like uh, And L.A., people from Northern California hate L.A., but I think L.A., like when you're working, it's actually was kind of a lot of fun. I was down there taping a lot of Make Me Laughs. Remember that? It was a bad show, but it was fun to do. And yeah, yeah. So I shot a bunch of those one fall. They had me down there for a few weeks, and I kind of enjoyed that.
1: But the challenge was just either too hard or why? Why don't you think you stayed down there?
7: I think I was trapped in my rent control apartment in San Francisco. I didn't want to leave that, and I was still making money up here. And I know a few comics that have stayed up here. You kind of had that—you were like a big fish in this sure small pond. So.
1: And you got the the audience
7: kind of dialed in, too, in terms yeah, of how yeah. they were going to respond, mm-hmm. right? Then you get, down to, you get down there from making money here to L.A., where it's just hard to even get on stage for ten minutes. So it didn't hold a lot of appeal.
1: Now, you've kept in touch with a lot of, or at least a few of the comics that have moved to L.A. and been down there for quite some time. Oh, yeah.
7: Some have done quite well. Mm-hmm. The smart ones got into writing, I think. Uh, Alex Reed uh, has produced a lot of sitcoms. He's done very well. Malcolm the Middle. The mi- Every show he does has the middle in it. <laughs> now he's middle-aged. Key he to success.
1: <laughs> and what about the, lar- the women, Larry?
7: <laughs> Get into comedy for the women. That's what they told me. <laughs> But they didn't tell me they were all psychotic. So. Uh, no, you never been married. Never been married. That's uh, no children that no, you know of. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> evading child support in fourteen states. <laughs> um, the trick is keep your life simple. Superficial relationships. <laughs> uh, don't own a lot of stuff. Just keep it very simple. So your expenses are low. Yeah. My health insurance is more than my rent.
1: So see what I mean? This could be a, these. There could be good tips in here for podcasters because, uh, as uh, most of my podcasting audience knows, uh, this business doesn't make a lot of money for most of us. But there's
7: a potential to. But there's a
1: potential to. Exactly we got to get you some advertisers. <laughs> we have
7: Henderson's pants, man. That's all we need. <laughs> well, they're going to jump on the uh, Zodiac references, I think. I think so. Who wouldn't want to sponsor a serial killer?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we should do a commercial for you as a one man show about <laughs> the serial killer. It'd be Probably great. be
7: a, like a detergent to get the uh, evidence out. <laughs> <laughs> Deeply ingrained blood stains.
1: <laughs> Uh, so what other things do you do to kind of take in what's going on in society? You watch a lot of TV? Virtually none.
7: I don't have cable. Okay. But I, what I, do, you listen, I, do you listen I to the wireless?
1: <laughs>
7: <laughs> uh, TV. Uh, the great thing about the rabbit Ear TV is I can see these old shows now that, that are coming back. This Me TV. Oh, yeah. They've got Kojak and the Rockford Files. <laughs>
1: Are you sure you're not just getting reception?
7: from 35 years ago, <laughs> I'm living in the 70s and loving it. <laughs> I, I bought my first car a Firebird because I liked the Rockford Files so much when I was a kid. Oh, there you go. So I bought a Firebird. I love the Rockford Files. Big favorite. You know who loves the Rockford Files is uh, I met him at a benefit. The uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh, the uh, oh yeah, the Niners coach. That's right. He's a big that's Rockford funny. fan, and he uh, we were giving each other trivia questions. He knew Rockford's license plate, 853-OKG. I I used to know it. I used to
1: have it memorized, absolutely. Um, And uh, actually, being a Rockford Files fan saved me from getting scammed once as the general manager of the Comedy Underground in Seattle. There was this guy going around to the different night spots, and uh, he had this whole gimmick that he was going to be... He was taking sponsorship money to produce this video, Mm -hmm. and all these places would get these commercials in the video. It would be on local television uh like once a week and then they'd focus on each each person each club would get like a special episode but you'd have your ad in every episode mm-hmm. and you just need a little bit of upfront money to get the stuff going and he gave me his card at the beginning of our meeting And at the end of the meeting he goes hey could I get that card back <laughs> uh, I, I'm getting some more print. that's the last one I have and I remember that printing press that the rocker had you know, kept in the car in yeah. the back of his card he would print one printing, <laughs> one business card <laughs> Drippy ink on it. Yeah. yeah. And he'd always ask for it back after the meeting. And i go, wait a second. And I said no. And uh, about two weeks later, one of the other club owners said, you're the only guy down the street that did not get scammed wow. by that guy. Everybody else gave the guy like 500 bucks.
7: He Rockford for Tatcha well. He
1: did. He did. So let that be a lesson to you, boys and girls.
7: Yeah. Go watch the Rockford Files. You'll learn something. <laughs> and buy a Firebird.
1: So... Because you you don't watch TV, you do read the paper. I read
7: the paper, but uh, yeah, maybe I realize I have no interest left. Maybe that's why I'm no longer
1: viable. <laughs> There's nothing that really interests me. So uh, what what occupies your thoughts during the day, other than <laughs> other than thoughts of death?
7: Crossword puzzles and thoughts
1: of death. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, when I, I mean, are you still writing new material? I try. It's so hard. I'm. I'm my act has become these one-liners,
7: which I hate, but that's what seems to work best for me. And it's, it's just so hard to build an act with one. You can do six a minute, so you need 300 to headline. and just uh, I wish I could just tell true stories, which that's what I started out doing. And uh, I worked with a comic last week who did that, uh, Chris Garcia, who did some really funny stuff about seeing... Uh, Neil Young at some outdoor concert and it was hilarious and uh, I would love to do bits like that because it was like stuff that really happened right? you know just made up jokes which I I feel like is kind of an old hack doing those things So why don't you do material like that? Well I've tried, I think the audience uh, I don't think they like me generally so I bore them (laughs) if if I'm not shooting off a punchline every 12 seconds have you, have you tried to maybe co- I should try I did try a
1: longer bit last week and it worked. so maybe I could get back into that and maybe as long as you sort of you know cunningly weave them with uh, with, with your one liners kind of weave
7: them in so you yeah. get laughs going throughout the story yeah that would be the way to go
1: yeah give yourself a little bit more legs uh, <laughs> should be nice. uh, of course you're a favorite opener by uh, of Dana Carvey's he's that's, used to a number of that's times that's
7: what keeps it. working with him is great Uh because you actually feel like you're in show business. Yeah. So those are, yeah, those gigs are really fun. He treats his openers well. He treats you well. He took me to Las Vegas last month. His first class airfare, three nights at the Four Seasons Hotel, and I spent $4.23. Wow, that's fantastic. Out of pocket. I I went across the street one afternoon and got a Happy Meal. (laughs) So that was it, yeah. Really? That's the only money I spent in Las Vegas for three days. Wow.
1: Fantastic! Yeah. Uh, So, what's the secret to success? If that's a measure of success of opening for him, I mean, you know, there's comics that would kill to be able to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I guess he
7: likes me, so Uh, maybe the secret to success is doing comedy for thirty years, and you can trust me with twelve minutes. (laughs) Not.
1: (laughs) Not to fumble the ball. <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. You don't you don't work really dirty. You say a few naughty things, but I do have. You, I
7: think I have a dirtier reputation than I actually am. But uh, most of the stuff, even my
1: sexual jokes, I've done on TV. It's just yeah. And I think he, I know. I know he values it because we've talked about you know who who makes good openers for him. Um, and it is that thing he doesn't want someone who's going to get the audience set in a mood where they're expecting to hear. You know, a lot of dirty jokes. Yeah. And things so, like that. and
7: he's never told me be clean. Now, he would never do that. But I think he kind of. You yeah. don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to poison the room. And, and the other thing is, I think because we're such contrasting styles, I think that's why it kind of works too. Because I don't think Dana would want someone that goes up there and does a lot of impressions and characters. Right. So I'm just up there doing the jokes, then go to him. It's totally different, and it seems to work
1: pretty well. So. Um, yeah when we were on the road working with him together uh, and I don't know if he, did this, in, did, he just, did, did this I guess Vegas doesn't have time to do this but when we were in the theaters he would then have you come out and I helped out one night we'd take, yeah, take the, questions uh, from the audience the Q&A yeah and uh, which is just brilliant for him yeah uh, it's so easy
7: and I think the audience actually loves that more than the, an act because I get to talk to him and ask questions and they become part of the show and, and I know he likes doing it too and so rather than doing 90 minutes he can do 65 that's and, right so it's, it's a win-win, which is rare in this business.
1: Um, if you could turn the hands of time back. Oh, yes. 25 years. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd do differently that you would have had control over uh, that you think would have steered your act or your career in a different path? Well... Uh...
7: Let's say the triple homicide wouldn't have happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Kept it to a double. If I had moved, back, I would have. Uh, I would have gone. To, I would have moved to LA and stayed down there. And I think something more would have happened than up here, obviously. And uh, yeah, I think going to LA—that was my big. Not going to LA was my big mistake. Um, and maybe trying to write more jokes, but
1: uh, they're hard. Um, you've got other things you're working on. Uh, you and I are talking about trying to, you know, beat up this idea you've got for a screenplay. Yes, I've been kicking around for twelve years. It's, we might be able to work on that because
7: you're productive. Maybe you can get me to get this thing done. <laughs> um,
1: but we've got the outline of a good story, I think. So. Yeah. Um, so, so does that kind of writing interest you? I mean, the idea of writing either a screenplay or a book or a TV. S- show or something like that i
7: think writing a screenplay is just this is the only thing i really want to work on it's a uh, screenplay i and i respect anyone that gets a screenplay done even if it sucks it's so much work with the chance you might not make any money i think if there were guaranteed money at the end it would certainly make it easier to write but sure but i think writers man that's that's a tough gig because you might not get anything, and you're
1: putting hours every day into something. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know what? It's so funny because to me, that same you're thing, good at that. I mean, you've always written. Yeah, but I mean, to me, it's the the exact same dynamic as putting together a comedy act or putting together a podcast. But, you know, I've done uh, the, as of the time we're recording this, I've done 71 episodes of my podcast. I don't have a paid sponsor. Uh, it's all money out of pocket to me. Well, it's coming after this show. <laughs> but the, the measure of success is, to me is that do I still enjoy doing it?
7: Okay. You see, know? Now, some people do enjoy writing. I think uh, the thing with stand-up is I can write a joke and try it out that night. There's right. a screenplay. You're going to be on it for months. And then, then
1: as you know, it's hard to get people just to read it. That's true. I mean, But it is one of the reasons we see this proliferation now of all these web... Series and things like that, mm-hmm. because people—it's it, almost the same dynamic. I can write a six-minute bit, uh, a sketch, and shoot it with my iPhone yeah. and have it up on YouTube tonight if, if I or. wanted to. Or Thank you can—you uh,
7: can actually shoot your own entire movie now if you want to. That's right. For uh, you can have a pretty good-looking movie for. Pretty cheap, something that would have cost a quarter million dollars 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right? No, no, the, the budgetary constraints have dropped so far down. Yeah, the, the cameras they have now, even the $400 camera, the, the quality is, like, amazing.
1: Uh, I mean, look at, look at the equipment I'm using to record us. It's this little tiny recorder. So file. there is hope. There is hope. There oh, is hope. We're not it. getting younger. We're not getting younger, but the materi- the equipment's getting smaller. <laughs> so as we get more and more feeble, we can still carry it around. But uh, with our fluor-
7: fluoride poison brains, will we be able to pull it off? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> we saw that poison child the night, it was sad.
1: <laughs> Her mask skills eroded in front of us. So, again, Larry, you're, you're not a podcaster. Uh, you've been on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but dipping into your experience in comedy, are there anything that sort of instinctively you would say to somebody who is just getting into a new medium, the things they could do to sort of persevere?
7: Oh, I wouldn't have any advice. I'd, I'm just trying to learn this stuff myself. I, I think that we just persevere, which is something I haven't been good at. But uh, you drive ahead like a... Uh...
1: That's because death is chasing me. Like
7: <laughs> it.
1: It's hot on my footsteps. You're going to outlive
7: us all. You're jogging, you're hiking. <laughs> it's all to get away from the grim specter. My weight's
1: plummeting.
7: <laughs> I'm starting to look like Hubert Humphrey in that picture a month before he died. <laughs> a weak little wave to the crowd. And then gone. <laughs> Sad.
1: <laughs> uh, what about, okay, so let's let's sort of switch it up and talk about comedy. And you're you're going to these open mics. You're seeing people today. What do you think the future of live stand-up is? Uh,
7: that's really up in the air because I know someone, who, uh, John Fox, a uh, booker, I think he posted something the other day that, He thinks it's going to be virtually impossible to get people to come out and see live shows Hmm. because you get to see anything you want on the net. But uh, on the other hand, I think nothing, at least in stand-up, there's nothing quite like a live show. So I think there will always be
1: a market for it. Uh, Yeah, I would say so. I mean, interestingly enough, uh, I was actually interviewing Jay Leno for an article years ago. And he, he said that watching stand-up live is there i mean there's no substitute for it he said you can see the exact same act on a tv show mm-hmm. or now i'll translate to that to the internet which wasn't around when i did this interview with him and he said it's like watching a comedy show through the front window from out on the street yeah you're seeing the same act but it's just you're not seeing you're not feeling the energy in the room right and you're very disconnected from what's happening It's true and uh, it's like porno you gotta be there.
7: It's more fun. But I think, uh, plus stand-up, I think unlike any other performing art, I think there's always that element. <laughs> there's a potential disaster, which makes it's true. But I think that yes. makes it kind of fun to watch. It's, it's, yeah, it's, like it's like a, kind of it's dangerous.
1: Like a, it's like a car race. It's, it's dangerous. Like, is, like, yeah, because there's
7: gonna be an accident today. And uh, as you, if you saw me at the punchline last week, I didn't make turn number three. <laughs> when,
1: they pulled you from the burning <laughs> wreckage of your act.
7: Airbags were popping like zits on prom night. <laughs>
1: get the fire extinguisher. Get some
7: foam down on this. They foamed me down in fluoride. <laughs>
1: Destroyed my precious bodily fluids. <laughs> uh, well, Larry, you're, you're not you're not particularly given as to the reputation of being a a, a, a guy who radiates hopefulness. <laughs> But if you had to give sort of one word of hope to a struggling artist, be it a podcaster, or a comedian, an actor, what what sort of what sort of tidbit might you leave for somebody to to kind of hang their their hopes on?
7: Keep going. Let's just keep going. It'll all be over someday. So <laughs> don't they always say in auditions, "Have fun with it." <laughs> Have fun.
1: Thank you, Larry Bubbles Brown. Yeah.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I poisoned your podcast. <laughs>
1: Thanks again to Larry Brown. Uh, remember to watch for him when the documentary entitled Three Still Standing starts making the rounds. Also, if you just want to hang out in some San Francisco comedy clubs, you might see him lurking about. Uh, it's time for our Burst o Durst. This time out, Durst gives us his rundown of the top 10 news items of 2013.
11: Hey, guys. Will Durst here with the top 10 comedic news stories of 2013. Now here's the deal, the top 10 comedic news stories of 2013 are in no way to be confused with the top 10 legitimate news stories of 2013. No, 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 they are as different as soybeans and lug nuts, Bluetooth and dental floss, palm fronds and those weird cone-shaped collars that dogs wear to keep them from chewing their butts. These are the stories from the year thus far that most lend themselves to mocking and scoffing and taunting, as determined by the Executive Council of the Comics, Clowns, Jesters, and Satirists Union, which is me. Number ten, Barack Obama Leadership Skills, like saying Fukushima Sushi. Number nine, Anthony Weiner Attempts a Comeback. Weiner is both his name and the source of most of his problems. Number eight, Pope Francis turns out to be a liberal Democrat, while Pope Benedict keeps busy updating his Christian mingle profile. Number seven, Edward Snowden runs first to China and then to Russia. Why? To escape government persecution, which is like joining the army because you're tired of people telling you what to do. Number six, Ted Cruz reads green eggs and ham on the floor of the Senate, then misinterprets the moral of the book. Number five, Toronto Mayor Rob Ford admits using crack during one of his drunken stupors, yes, plural, only to see his approval rating shoot up five points. Not saying Obama should do the same thing, but... Number four, domestic spying revelations. Turns out the best way to keep the NSA from following your every move is by becoming one of its employees. Number three, Dennis Rodman, roving ambassador. What's next? Mike Tyson, poet laureate? Kim Kardashian, molecular chemistry consultant? Tim Tebow, NFL quarterback? Number two, the government shuts down, and we almost default again. And then you know what happens. We have to move back in with Britain. And the number one comedic news story of 2013. (laughs) The Affordable Care Act website debacle. Most people decide to let the NSA handle the whole thing. After all, they have all the information and probably know which plan best fits. For Succotash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst.
1: What a lovely fanfare. Thank you, Will Durst. You can find more of his ramblings and comedy stylings over at willdurst.com. You can also catch him tweeting on Twitter at will durst well that's going to do it for epi 77 thanks so much for hanging out with me remember to call in uh, your holiday greeting to the succotash hotline that number is 818-921-7212 and i will play it on the show uh please remember to take it easy on the road this holiday season and please don't ever 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 forget to pass the succotash
0: You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, with your host Mark Hershon, Brought to you by Henderson's Pats. and Imagine Your Company's Name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes or on Stitcher Smart Radio. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show email us at marc at succotashshow.com Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our toll call number, 818-921-7212. That
8: number
0: again is 818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durgis. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywath, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye.
13: Hi, I'm Jody Fitz, and welcome back to the Price Chopper Kids Cooking Club, where we're already in the kitchen, getting ready for the first holiday of the season, Thanksgiving, and I have a new friend with me. Can you tell everybody your name? Lyric. Lyric. Lyric and I met at her school when I was doing a healthy school visit, and this year, we're doing sort of a trade-out in your lunchbox for a little bit of a healthier dessert. Can you tell everybody what we made? Do you remember the name of it?
9: Um, Banana dip?
13: Banana split dip. It's yummy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love banana split dip, and my daughter loves it, too. And so now you can tell everybody how to make it back at your household, right? Mm
4: -hmm. Okay,
13: but now we're getting ready for Thanksgiving, and we're trying to keep the side dishes just a little bit healthier and a little bit simple so that the kids can help out in the kitchen. So Lyric, have you ever heard of Bugs Bunny? No. I believe this whole generation does not know my fellow friend Bugs Bunny. It was my brother's favorite and he used to say suffering succotash or at least somebody in his cartoon did all the time and when I got to go down south I got to try succotash. When I looked up the recipe I saw that it's really drenched in butter and sugar. So we are making a little bit of a healthier option. How does that sound? Good. Good. So what I did, Lyric, ahead of time is I pre-cooked an entire pound of the Price Chopper frozen corn with only one cup of the Price Chopper frozen lima beans. Do you like beans? You do? Oh, give me high five, girlfriend. That's good because the new Val scores are over 90 for both of these. And then, I'm gonna let you help me out, but I'm just gonna get things started, all right? In here, because we wanted to go with our beautiful festive fall colors, I have sauteed up some bell pepper. What colors do you see in there? Can you tell everybody?
9: Yellow, red, and green.
13: Yellow, red, and green. Perfect. And they're going to go perfectly with this. We're just going to add a splash of color into our succotash. Now because I'm cutting down on the butter and the sugars, I'm scraping here into the pan to get the rest of the peppers. I kind of sauteed this up in two tablespoons of olive oil. I like to use the light olive oil You can't really taste it. It's a great replacement for butter. And when I've sauteed it, I've put a cover on because I really want the juices to come out. So we want all the juices to soak up in there. So Lyric, I'm going to give you this. This is a tough bowl, so I'm going to hold on with you. We're going to have you hold on to this, and we're just going to mix it up so that all of our fall colors are in here. Now, we added a little bit of butter, only two tablespoons, though. We've really cut back because in succotash, it calls for one cup. And we don't really want to use all of that, do we? No. No. And so what do you think? How is our fall color looking? Good. Good. It's kind of pretty, isn't it? Mhm. I love all the festive fall colors. All right, Lyric, we have a couple of spices we're going to add in here. If you can sprinkle on top a little bit of salt. We're going to spread it around and we'll stir it all in. Oh, the whole thing. Go ahead. I've already pre-measured it out. And that's a reminder to look on the website for all of the ingredients and the measurements. And then just a tiny dash of pepper. Can you take that and sort of sprinkle that in for me? because we just want to give it a splash of taste. We don't want to overpower everything, and I am eliminating the sugar altogether. And I'm telling you, with the red bell peppers and the juices cooked down and added in here, it is really a tasty side dish. All right, you ready? We're going to hold on together. I'm just going to help you. I bet you could do this at home if we had a little bit of a deeper bowl. But Miss Jodi pulled out a shallow bowl so that all of our friends at home could see what we were doing today. So when you go home and you get ready for your Thanksgiving dinner. You can help mom by making a little bit of a little bit healthier suffering succotash, as Bugs Bunny, my old friend, used to say, with a fall festive side dish. What do you think? Good. Does it look good enough to taste test? Yeah. All right. Lyric and I are going to go taste test our suffering succotash that's healthy. Give me five. Thanks for joining me at your school and here at the Price Chopper Kids Cooking Club. Stay tuned. We have two more recipes to share this month.
4: I love succotash, I'm on it every week almost.